This week on the show, we have translator, localizer, voice director, and CEO of DragonBaby.com, Jeremy Blaustein. So where do you guys stand in the, you know, the MGS Kojima community? I mean, tell me about, maybe, you know, I don't know if you want to do this online, you can do it online. I don't know. Sure. I'm Fingers. Hey everyone, this is Days Ahead. And I'm Nitroid. You're listening to the Kojima Frequency. I'm Fingers. I do a lot of Metal Gear remixes and covers. I know that. Uh, Yeah, I've sent a few your way. Uh, I think you... You've uh you've seen a couple of them. But uh, yeah, that's kind of what I'm known for. Uh, I, I manage a a Facebook page that's called Solid Snake. We've got like over 110,000 people on there. I've been running that for the past eight years and just sharing memes and artwork and just, Mm. you know, trying to source and credit uh, all the artists that, you know, anytime we post something, if I don't know the source of it, I'm not posting it and sharing it Mm. because I think Mm. artists deserve credit and should be sourced and all that. So that's kind of how I got into the the Metal Gear community. And then I actually met Nitroid. Uh, He was commenting on on a post that had something to do with uh, dominant and recessive genes and stuff, and he came in and corrected us. <laughs> You're going to embarrass me because I came in with some nerd shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I'm saying you knew your shit, and you corrected the whole thread, and everybody was like, and that's why I was like, actually, yeah, Nitro's right, you know? It was like, oh, shit. <laughs> I need better things to do with my time. <laughs> well, Ryan's got that, Ryan's got that crazy, um, that crazy, uh, you know, icon photo that is so memorable, you know? <laughs> You see that thing, and it's like, oh, okay. I mean, that just, that just, and the name Nitroid, it's just like, that's like rock star level, I don't know, association. <laughs> that's me, anyway. sure, yeah. It's very strong. It's a high praise. Somebody did a 3D rendering of that icon recently, and it's pretty terrifying. Yeah. I, you know, it's like, I, I, I kind of hate it, but I, it's like hate that, it's the kind of hate that goes into the, you know, amazeballs territory. You, <laughs> <Yeah. know>. <laughs> <laughs> you love that. Well, hate. I have to say that the uh, the drawing was done by a guy named uh, Tom Waterhouse mm. uh, at 2dforever.com. He's a really he's a really good artist. Mm. And uh, he did that this just this funny picture and I was like, hey, can I use that? Because <laughs> it makes me laugh every time I see it. It's like snake with like uh into you know after he ate like uh you know a big pizza or something like that. <laughs> Isn't it a three piece? Like the original, it's like him. And then yeah. like, and then he does that. And then he's old after it. Yeah. Yeah. It's called metal gear senile. Oh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, you and I have crossed paths uh, before. Um, I don't, I mean, I'm guessing you might remember back in God, I think 2007, we did a podcast and talked about a number of things and, that sort of took off and ended up on Kotaku and a few other blogs at the time. I mean, this is this is a while back, so I don't know if you remember it. What too was well. the year here? At around 2007, I want to say. Man, that's way back. Is this Ryan talking? Yeah. Yeah, it is. 2007, and it went on Kotaku in 2007. No, I, I can't say I really uh, remember what that is. Um, you mean it went on as, well, a, you could... as a blog? or? 
Yeah, it was. I mean, we did a podcast um, with a, a friend of mine named Jim. It was called Push to Talk for MetalGearSolid.org. Oh, 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 Ryan, so you're from that. No, I certainly remember that. I mean, it's, it's yeah. all over YouTube still, like in 12 parts. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, every time he wants to send it, I'm like, <laughs> send it in parts. Yeah. <laughs> and I had a really bad cold that day. No, that's, um, you know, I... Um, that was the first podcast I, I ever did, you know, associated with uh, this kind of, you know, with fans and such. And uh, I really, I don't, I don't want to say I regret some of the things I said, but first of all, I think I, <laughs> I, 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 I certainly was unscripted. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I, and I, you know, I, I sent you a message a while back too, where I, I, you know, I'll just say again, I'm sorry if if that got you into any sort of trouble. No, it didn't. Like I said, we can cut this. We can cut this out. <laughs> it did not. It did not. It did not. My my New York accent really sounds off the off the charts though on that one. I'm like, yeah, I worked with Kojima for a while. Sure, yeah. Let me tell you about Kojima. Apparently, you guys had like cracked a few cold ones before the the interview, so that might have been a factor. <laughs> I don't remember. Maybe. <laughs> who knows but that was i mean that was pretty memorable for me back then because you know i was still sort of a, a young kid and and talking to somebody who worked on this game i liked so much and but but now like your whole story has been told so many times now i'm sure you're getting tired of recanting it at this point well yeah in a way yeah i don't really have much more to say about it you know and you know um to be honest with you you know at the time i was um to 2007 and so I was going from a period of being like a super, super, super hot translator doing like everything, mm -hmm. transitioning to, hey, why am I translating, uh, you know, um, got like, <laughs> what would be a typical game that was like, you know, so unwell, like Sword Art Online for some fucking studio in <laughs> LA, you know, you know, and so I was trying to drum up a little bit of interest, you know, I wasn't really sure how, you know, how I could get relevant again. So I thought, okay, I'll, you know, I'll talk about that kind of stuff. But um, it's been 13 years since then. And so I've gone through some stuff since then. And now, now I'm looking pretty good, but not really as a translator individually anymore. Um, I started a translation company. I was about to say, you've, you've expanded like completely and started up uh, Dragon Baby, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Indeed, and it's going pretty well, I must say, and it's pretty enjoyable. Yeah, I dig the logo. Every time I see that, I'm like, man, that's a good logo. Thanks, thanks. There was a actually that was a Twitter connection. I think I was the connection that connected you to that guy. Actually, now that I think about, it, I remember that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> were you really? Yeah, I, I knew the guy. Thank he you. sent me uh, he sent me some pins uh, that he had designed, and he was just doing some great design work at the time. And then I happened to see Jeremy post like, "Hey, just looking for his designers." I was like, "Dude, go hit up Jeremy Blaustein. and he That's did. That's insane. And it was a match. Like, it, he cranked it out quick. We're, we're we're so connected. Yeah, we're like cosmically yeah. connected. <laughs> that's that's amazing. That's yeah. no anyway. So yeah, I love the logo. I thought he did a fucking great job. Great, great job. Um, and so anyway, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm 55 years old now, so it's like you don't want me like translating. You know, I'll be like that. Uh, that Buscemi. <laughs> hello, fellow kids. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, hello, fellow kids. <laughs> you know, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, that was, I was actually going to ask you about that. Like, is, is 
when, yeah. you, when as soon as you said, you know, I'm, I'm older, uh, I was wondering if that oh, yeah. was because you're afraid of not being able to have like a. a yeah, you're. I'm afraid that I can't um, pretend that I'm a teenage, you know, a teenager talking <laughs> as a teenager. Yeah, I'm afraid. Exactly. Yeah. Like it would be anachron. You feel it's like anachronistic. If you yeah, will. it's beyond fear. It's uh, reality, you know. Yeah. And also, I can't. I can't really pretend, you know, I can't hold up the illusion that I'm like all over every single game, you know, like, well, did you guys like, I busted out my, I busted out my, my PS Vito played some retro this morning. I did some retro gaming. And then in the afternoon, I, you know, it's like, no, I mean, you know, I run a company and I have kids and I don't have time to be like playing all these games and stuff like that. I play, I play a few games, but they're like old guy games. (laughs) (laughs) but there's people my age that you know are still like they invested so heavily in this you know this image of being like gamers but Mm -hmm. the thing is you know there's also professionals in the industry and um it is a profession and so there's this kind of there's this kind of massive confusion though between because it's games right you know um whether we're talking about translators or whatever because it's games people think that you got to be like you know, all geeked out and like a gamer and stuff like that. But that's, and that's, sorry, I keep disrupting. No, it's Um, fine. That's, that's something we talk about a a number of times in this show is that there seems to be a clear line between, um, you know, what, what gamers quote unquote expect as far as the industry, they expect, you know, like bombastic personalities and, and, and company actions that, you know, are, are like something out of an anime when the reality is, you know, this is still like a professional business. This is still a company, you know, they have to be sustainable. They have to have sustainable practices. Right, right. They're not going to swoop in and acquire a company because it it would make for a good story like they there has to be some back backing to it fuck konami fuck konami they broke up the Silent hill team yeah <laughs> i didn't want to i didn't want to make that example but <laughs> they were the perfect team and they were like brothers they were like the band of brothers <laughs> i like that psm review that you posted because i remember <laughs> that i remember being a little apprehensive about the game when that review came out but yeah and now everybody acts like it's like timeless i don't know well it's romanticizing everything right when you know in konami they look we looked at that in the office you know the 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 team looked at that of course they looked at that you know yeah and they're like oh my god you know (laughs) they didn't like it you know and uh the way development schedules go is they had to start developing right away for the next one and so what they start drawing up is plans to avoid the mistake that they made in Silent Hill 2. Wow. Yeah. That's hilarious. Just hearing that statement in 2021. It is the straight up truth. I swear to God. Stabs you in the heart. Yeah. That's why Silent Hill 3 is like, you know, we've got to get back to the lore. And they're like, what? But this lore, it doesn't, it doesn't uh, actually make any sense because when we did Silent Hill 1, we, we didn't think it was going to be like, you know, we were just throwing shit up against the wall, you know? So now Silent Hill 3, we got to, like, make it all make sense. <laughs> yeah. Know, like, so. Connect the dots, if you yeah, will. Yeah, and the fans think, you know, it's part of some kind of, like, you know, complete, you know, loric. Like some master plan. Yeah, like, like, we're, like Tolkien had written the game, you know, and there's, like, you know, yeah. 50 years of developing the world of Silent Hill and the lore of Silent Hill. And, you know, it's not like that at all. <laughs> <laughs> we just made it up as we went. Yeah. yeah. So. 
Sorry. On that same note, I mean, sorry. I hope I didn't. It's, poop, it's, hope I didn't poop in anybody's no, punch bowl. No, no, yeah, no, no, no. This is actually a perspective that I was really interested in because I—that's—that's I, that's something that has kind of been sort of a blocker in my mind for a while. Was literally that PSM review and then how Silent Hill Two is perceived now. So you know that just opened my eyes. So appreciate it. Yeah. So on that note. Days and I both work in software development, so okay. when we see this sort of romanticizing around the the development process, it's kind of funny to us because yeah. we we while we don't work in game development, we do work in a similar environment where it it just sort sort of like you know this is not how it typically goes, you yeah. know you, it's not some magical like this is not Willy Wonka's chocolate factory, here, right? Guys. It's not you know especially translation. Let me tell you. Well, with regards to translation, I mean, is, has the process changed dramatically yeah, since? Yeah, it has. Back when you were at Konami versus what it is now, I, I'd assume with with as uh, fast paced as things have become, that that that's got to be uh, quite a bit more difficult now. I don't, I don't know if I would use the word difficult. I mean, yeah, there's certain certain things have become, have become more difficult, and a lot of things have become easier. But you know, on the other hand, them becoming easier doesn't it's like it's easier to um <clears throat> you know unify and make everything you know like you know perfect there's all these tools and stuff like that but um it doesn't help you you know in a way um it's become much more um rational like rationalized okay mm -hmm. you know they, used to be, do they still send you scripts out of context yeah right so i mean so those those problems still exist but um that happens rarely. That 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 really that actually doesn't happen anymore. Um, what I want to say is that you know back then you might you know you might get a PDF or you might get an Excel file or you might get a Word file. <laughs> like you know what format should we do this in? You know, and um, oh my God, this has code in it. You know now there's um, computer assisted translation software. You know, you know it it tags the code and puts it here or it keeps the glossary or it keeps the term bases and you can you know export and import these into different languages and blah 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 all these things yeah that so it's rationalized and um the amazing thing now is that even a, a young translator who's been doing it you know doing games for only a couple of years they've grown up in a world where they're using this cat software and they know all the best practices for uh localizing games and so they're really professional you know they're super mm -hmm. professional yeah. Whereas, you know, I've been doing this for 25 years, which means that for me at, you know, at year 20 or year 18 or whatever, I had to start learning, you know, these new tricks and I'm already an old dog. So, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And yeah, and they're growing up with that software. So it's, they're just like learning the process exactly, that way. And exactly. it's just like, yeah. Yeah. I see that with like a lot of like the old heads with like music and stuff. They're, exactly. you know, they're talking about just like tracking music the, the old way with analog equipment. And then you got these, you know, you got these damn kids just yeah. ripping their MP3s and got your digital <laughs> EQs. And yeah. You, you yeah, know, yeah. I can, I can get the, not animosity, but I can get the like, man, back when we did it, like we had to go and do it all of this way. And it, you know, it was like much more of a process where you're just, literally clicking export and there's your song now. It's like, yeah, it. I right. wish I had this when I like, I can't tell if it's like, I wish I had this when I was growing up or like, Oh, the analog old way is the, the true good way. It's, it's exactly like, you like that. You know, because, you can't impede innovation like that really. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because the thing is, you know, sometimes when you're working within limitations, it's, it's those things that draw out the best in you. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to 
take the extra steps to get something done. And in that, you find creativity, you know. Exactly. Though it does seem like there's a kind of uh, homogeneity that's coming out of everyone having access to the exact same tools, the exact same libraries, at least in terms of music, where things are getting very samey. That's exactly the same too in, in, in what, in what we do, because, um, you know, now the new sort of bunch of translators, you know, that do games, they're all young people that grew up watching anime, you know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or they're inspired by this localization or that localization. You know, I love the translation of this. And so I became a translator. So guess what? I drew all my um, influences from, you know, from past translations or from anime and stuff like this. Um, And so I think you get a kind of a sameness, you know, it's sort of like, I guess, in in audio recording, you know, using the, what is that? uh, That auto auto oh auto-tune yeah auto-tune you just get a lot of that auto-tune. same sound yeah, yeah. So, yeah and with yeah, yeah drums and stuff everybody's using the same sample yeah. packs and shit it's like hey that's snare number nine in the terror pack like it's like oh great <laughs> right, right i was thinking about <laughs> right. my, the example in my head was like i don't know if you guys see them but if you look at some mobile games like they all use the same unity assets so like ah. you'll see the same like anime warrior in like a puzzle game as you would in like an anime boob action game it's kind of funny <laughs> i you know i never noticed that but you know, now you're getting really, really deep into, you know, issues, I think important issues about, um, it's like you could, you could take, you could go all the way down the rabbit hole with this conversation and talk about, um, historically video games. Was there a peak moment when like, let's imagine this is two points on a graph and you've got, um, you know, at the beginning of it, you've got hand-drawn pixels, you know, which take all this time to do. Right. Mm -hmm. And on the other side, you've got all this unity, you know, pre-made you know 3d art assets that you can just pick up off the website okay i need a old rocking chair okay grab the got the rocking chair and so you get the sameness and the users think they're getting this incredible you know photorealistic uh you know stuff and it is photorealistic oh my god i could see the pores on this dude's nose hair you know yeah but it's like and those work well when you're selling a game or you're making a YouTube video, you know? But when you're playing at, uh, you know, when you're fighting a boss, can you actually see its fucking hair swinging? I would say no. You can't see that. So then what? what's actually going on? Do you feel that your um, connection with the game or the connection between your actions, pressing the button to make something happen, are... You know, is that connection enhanced by having, you know, little follicles of hair moving while you're fighting a, an end boss? And I think that we passed that point long, 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 long ago. You know, I don't want to sound like an old fogey, but I really don't yeah. think it's, you know, it makes any We're sense. We're hitting diminishing returns on What's it. What's the term? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Diminishing returns. Yeah. PS5, PS6, PS7, you know. Yeah. It's been weird. Like, this has been the first generation that the consoles have been have been out and they've been out for you know close to a year now and i'm i'm just like yeah i'm i'm good like i just nothing is really drawing me to any of it and it's like the the graphics aren't the thing like the fast loading time's great but it's just like the core games that i really want to play it's like that's not why i'm here like i, I don't know i just i'm not in a rush to buy the new systems 
That's why there's been such a renaissance in indie games lately, because those are the guys yeah. that don't have as many resources and have to rely on creativity and innovation to get their yeah. stuff out there. It's true. It's just that it's so hard to go back now, you know? Yeah. yeah. There, there are plenty of games that are like returning to retro and like, you know, they're like, hey, this is like a, a Super Nintendo era looking game. But yeah. we did it a little better and we it's don't hard. have the limitations. So it's like, I mean, that's like the, you know, Super Nintendo PlayStation one. That's like the golden era for me. So it's like when mm -hmm. they try to go for that, so, it's like you're on track. Good job. But we're all ruined. We're ruined. Did you ever try to watch, try, try to watch a movie from like the late 60s? You know, it's like even yeah. good movies. It's like you can't watch it anymore because the you know, the number of cuts, you know, and that kind of thing. The tempo mm -hmm. is so, so different than what we're, we've become addicted to now. Yeah. Our attention span these days is half a second. And then we're, you know, we're checking our phones if we're not. Yeah. It's, it's all like Marvel movie, popcorn level. Yeah. Yeah. Where yeah. It's just yeah. Bam, 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 bam. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. You've got the, yeah. The, the old style of like the long cuts, you know, that was definitely more the style back then. So Jeremy, I hope this doesn't make you feel old. I know it makes me feel old, but since the last time we did a podcast, uh, I've had two boys who uh, the oldest of which is going to be turning 13 uh, this year. That should make you when feel they, old, uh, man. And they oh, hate I, Metal I, Gear. Yeah. <laughs> they, <laughs> they hate it when he talks about it. Yeah, one of them solidus. And, you know, it's... <laughs> one solidus and the other. You know, I wonder. Um, that we, haven't, we haven't had the third yet. I don't know if we're going to go down that route. Yeah. Um, but... It it does sort of uh, remind me, though, when I try to show them some of the older movies or games or music that I'm into, you know, I, I do sort of get the, you know, Dad, that's so old. Why am I why should I be interested in that? And it's it's not easy to impart that um, appreciation into kids. I mean, you can you can expose your kids to things and try not to force it on them. But at the end of the day, they're going to have their own tastes. And, and so all of these things that I'm interested in, all these old bands and movies and games, they just don't really seem to have an interest in for well, the most part. And, and video games are like a whole level, like a whole tier, I think in terms of that, like discrepancy between generations, because you, you also have the aspect of engaging with it. It's not just, you know, the style of filming or yeah, passive you know, the, experience. Yeah. Right. It's, it's an active, so it's like, you know, it's one thing to have a a difference in terms of like that passive entertainment. Like if something is filmed differently, if something is mm, yeah. is a little more antiquated visually, mm -hmm. it's another thing to have that level of engagement where, you know, if a child is not used to if a child from this generation is not used to the way a PlayStation 1 3D character moves, then, you know, you can only get so far with them. Yeah. It is hard to go back even like myself to play older games where it's like, oh, these controls are kind of weird. Like, I guess I remember how to, like how I did it back in the day, but it's they've definitely progressed in a way that's like a positive way to where it's it's like a regression to go back and play the older games. My kids are always going to be able to watch the newer Marvel movies or whatever. But if I try to sit one of them down and watch the Maltese Falcon, it's not going to happen. Yeah, and, and th same thing's going to happen to to them. You know, you got you know there'll be a, <clears throat> a guy with a dad bod wearing a grunge t shirt. You know, son, this is this is this is Rage Against the Machine. No, no. Rage Against the Machine, the greatest actor right now, <laughs> the greatest band ever. <laughs> and they're watching TikTok, and they're like, "Fuck!" Oh god, yeah, I don't let them use TikTok. 
stuff's evil. Yeah, like, and my dad grew up, you know, playing games in the arcade. Like, you know, there's an old picture of him with, like, an afro playing Joust in the 80s or whatever, but... <laughs> That's awesome. Your dad sounds awesome, man. Yeah, and and but, like, when it got to, you know, when the controllers got, you know, dual analog sticks, it just got to be, like, too much. Like, that was just, like, the evolution that kind of kicked him out, so... Did you guys ever see like the original like Ultima, for example, on the PC? Like, yeah, you know? yes. All right. yeah. So put put that image in your head, okay? Mm-hmm. Put that image in your head. You know, you're pressing the you know the arrow keys, and this fucking thing is you know that's made out of like two pixels is moving around, and you know, and you think it's a warrior with a fucking sword, you know? Yeah. And now that would be you know ridiculous and unplayable, and, and all these things. I mean, I played Zork. I played Zork. I enjoyed Zork. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, so word based game, yeah. So so what's going on? You know, what's going on is that there's a there's a representation in you know that that exists in your mind between the thing that's on the screen is only a representation that was only ever supposed to be a representation. It wasn't supposed to look exactly like, you know, like better than your imagination. Yeah. Now it's going, you know, the other way. You now you you can't imagine anything because you can already see, oh, its eyes aren't blue, they're green, you know. Mm-hmm. So, I, and everybody looks like a, you know, like a, you know, like The Last of Us. Oh, this is, you know, this character is, you know, it's this actress, you know? And, um. What I'm hearing is that we're all spoiled. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't know what it is, but I think that this issue of representation and the interplay between the rep, what, you know, the symbolic the representation and what's going on in your mind, that surely must be gone now, right? And that seems to me to be a big issue, a big, a big difference between games now and, and, and right? It's anathema to imagination. Exactly. Yeah, there's definitely a lot less uh, left to the imagination these days versus you just had to go, all right, those four squares and two rectangles. Yep, that's a guy with a sword. Got it. I don't, <laughs> I don't even know if I would call it spoiled, though, because it's like... I, I miss being able to exhaust my imagination. Like the example that comes out of my head is Silent Hill. I don't think Silent Hill One could have worked on a newer console. That that it that whole like aesthetic with the PlayStation One graphics and the the lack of polygons like that fits that sort of like. And Jeremy, I apologize if this was not the tone you guys were going for, but it fits that very like B movie grindhouse like tone that I appreciated that I played through. Yeah. Um, and I, we don't, I, I mean, I'm a survival horror fiend and I just haven't been able to get into a lot of survival horrors lately because there's not much left to the imagination. Exactly. It's just, you know, I think you, you, your, your mind fills in the blanks and that's the bottom line. The mind fills in the blanks. And right. And your mind will always think of something scarier than what the designer is. And that's not an indictment on the designer. Yeah. And so if there's no blanks, then right. Yeah. Then you have Metal Gear Solid 4. Yep. There, there is a community <laughs> out there now that has been growing by leaps and bounds called Haunted PS1. Mm. And they're, they've been inspired by... It's a, it's a group of independent developers who have been inspired by those classic survival horror PlayStation 1 games. And they make games that are intentionally retro uh, in that style to try and explore, like, what else can we do in those you know, in those restrictions, what other ideas can we come up with? And they've come up with a lot of pretty creative stuff. Tell them to uh, contact me. So, I mean, there's still people who appreciate it. 
Um, mm. it's, there's sort of been like a, like a second renaissance for those old low poly style games. That's great. Yeah. yeah. Same with like hype, the hyper, like first person shooters yeah. where it's just that like old school, you know, like quake style almost, or just like yeah. Duke Nukem era. Mm. Mm. On that note, I, I got to ask you this. I've wanted to ask you this for a while. Uh, and, and you, if we don't have to get into it, if you don't want to, so we can, we can, again, we can cut this out if you want, but, um, uh, I wanted to ask you about Blackmore. Oh, okay. And if there was any hope of seeing that again. Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. Um, you know, game development is, it's a really risky thing, you know? And, uh, yeah. you know, Kickstarter is also, man, it's a, it's a whole, it's a whole, uh, Kickstarter is a crapshoot at best. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it, it's not just that it's a crapshoot. There's this whole social dimension too to it that, you know, it's like inviting yourself into, you know, I don't know, opening yourself up to potential, you know, nastiness. You know, we've all seen that the, the, the things that have sometimes happen with Kickstarter campaigns, you know. Right. Yeah. There's, there's no, like there's can be like scenarios where there's no sort of accountability or management from like the developers. There's no accountability for, I don't even want to use the term stakeholders because technically if you kickstart, you're not really a stakeholder. Um, yeah, there's that, but I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about like the social dimensions of like, you know, Oh, the, this person, you know, I mean, everything that can go wrong on Twitter can go wrong in your, you know, on your Kickstarter page. You know, like yeah. this guy says that you're stealing the money and not using it for art assets. Yeah. You know, yeah. this person, yeah. you know, yeah. drew, this person drew, drew the character, you know, that should be a boy as a, you know, as a, you know, genderless. And so, you know, they're being too PC or, you know, I mean, like you never know what kind of crazy shit's going to happen when you have thousands of people looking at your you know, your art or your, you know, so. Yeah, definitely. When you're getting like the financial support by that, that's when people just get kind of weird. It's like when the money, when money's involved, they're like, oh, they're taking people's money and they feel like they're, there's some kind of weird superiority aspect where they're like, oh, well, let's, let's yeah, exactly. Really analyze everything about this and judge it like, shit. you know, it's like, guys, we're just trying to raise money for a video game. Yeah. Everybody <laughs> expects everything to be given to them online. Everything should be free. Right, right. Including access to everyone's, yeah. I mean, um, I would, I would still like to do it. There's still a really good story um, at the heart of it. And um, if any developers listening to this or friends of developers listening to this want to talk to me about it, you know, I'd, I'd be happy to consider, um, you know, breaking it out and and working with with people. I, I, I would love to tell the story that I had or um, some variations on the stories that we developed thinking about it it actually you know it, it actually was supposed to, it actually started um as a uh a prequel if you will to snatcher in my mind that's what it was oh shit oh yeah a prequel to snatcher <laughs> yeah. go on interested yeah um but we were afraid of getting sued by konami you know yeah but um the original draft of this was that uh there was a uh character named um God, what was it it was, it was supposed to be like the, the, the great grandfather of, uh, you know, of uh, Gillian Seed, you know. Mm-hmm. And there was going to be a, uh, a character that had come over from Japan soon after Japan was opened up by Perry, you know. So we're talking 1860s. Yeah. And they came to, uh, to London at this time. And, uh, you know, uh, 
got involved in this Jack the Ripper type of thing. But this character was, uh, yeah. So that was that was the that was the original thought behind That's it. That's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hope it. I hope to see that again someday. It was really compelling. I wanted to see where you were going with that. Oh, thanks. On the localization side, I mean, we're kind of jumping back to the to the talk of translation and and modern tools sort of taking over a bit. But but another thing I wanted to ask you is, uh, how has translation changed over time or, or localization, if you will, in terms of let me put it like this. Um, culture changes constantly. You know, there there's new slang. There are new references, new media, new sensibilities, new ideas. Um, I mean, is there is there in a sense, do you have to constantly be paying? Do you have to constantly play catch up with culture in order to keep localization uh, contemporary and and accessible? I think, of course. Yeah. Um but predominantly it's culture that is through the window of language and language is always changing. So um, you have to change with the language. Your language has to change, has to be, you know, updated, obviously, you know, you, yeah. you, you can't be speaking, uh, you know, you know, Hey daddy. Oh, you know, <laughs> right, right. It's kind of like when people, like when it people have to update their like skills, like, it, like learn a new, like, programming language or something like that um no, except that it's it's jingo yeah. <laughs> you just blew my mind daddy oh uh no <laughs> so it's it's changing in that way you have to keep update with the with the language but i thought you were going to go to some somewhere else in that conversation um i mean the games themselves the con so a translator translates the contents of the game and so the original writer uh presumably has written something which is itself is it represents a change in the culture in some way. But in translation, you're dealing with multiple cultures too. So mm -hmm. the more interesting question for me is the cross-cultural issue of what is expected to be done with a translation. And has that expectation changed over the years? Yeah. The way that I see that <clears throat> the expectations of localization have changed is that uh, first of all, with the rise of the internet, people began to all look at the same thing. So the world became smaller. So originally you had these region-bound translations, you know, the yeah. French translation, the Spanish translation, the English translation. And the fans of each of those communities were never going to talk to each other. They couldn't talk to each other. <laughs> and compare notes. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, they weren't comparing notes. So the original job that a translator thought that they had in games was to write game text, essentially, you know, they referenced mm -hmm. the Japanese, but their job was to deliver a product that was going to be entertaining. No different than an original writer of the, of the thing. It was exactly the mm -hmm. same job. I have to write game text. The only difference was that you had some, whether you had something to refer to or you didn't have something to refer to. Do you write from, from scratch or do you write from the original Japanese? But it was just, it was referring to it. And so this guy uh, that started it all, um, he put in all these, you know, cornball jokes, you know, into the English, you know, puns and stuff like that, that only yeah. the, the American audience would get. I'm sure listeners will say, oh, he's talking about that guy. I can't remember his name right now. Yeah. Um, but now it's a completely different story. Now you've got uh, people on Twitter talking about, game localizers as if they're 
you know, Satan that have changed, you know, they, they exist to change and alter based upon their own egos. Um, I've, I've seen some people even, even call it like censorship. Yes. Yeah, censorship or, you know, and the nuttiest thing about it is that you have no idea how close we're sticking to the original now and how tightly bound most of the projects that we work on now, because it's so easy for people to monitor our work and for, you know, machines say, oh, you, this word is supposed to be this word. And, oh, this phrase was already translated. 88% of it looks like this, you know? And so, you know, you look at the translation that's in the translation memory and you say, okay, you know, it was phrased like this. And um, so it's so, it's so tightly bound now. And there's so little room for creativity for most projects, unless you're um, an in-house translator working for Square or working for Capcom and the development team knows that you're going to be creative and they give you the go ahead. Um, usually now what you've got is uh, you've got translation agencies that are involved and they're too afraid to piss anyone off. And so they say, uh, you know what? I appreciate you trying to make this character sound funny and entertaining, but just stick to the Japanese, you know? Mm. And so you get something which is really tends to be really flavorless. Yeah. Yeah, and that was, that was kind of one thing I was going to say with, like, with the, the localization. It's like, yeah, it's definitely part translation, but part, like, adding in, you know, right. the flavor text without it getting too cheesy. Exactly. So what I, want to yeah. say to, what I want to say to everyone listening is this very, very clearly, that if you ever come across anything in a translated game that is even slightly entertaining, please, please, please get down on your hands and knees and thank the fucking translator who took a risk, explored their brain for something creative, for poor uh, compensation, for no <laughs> gratitude, for no game credit, simply for the love of entertaining someone. They yeah. took that risk well, I mean, that and wrote some entertaining text against, against all odds and against everyone else's wishes. It really is against all odds. Yeah, you know. Well, that kind of gets to the heart of it, too, is that when you're a translator, it's not just a mathematical formula of this word equals that word. You have to be a writer as well. Times a thousand. Times a thousand. Yep. Especially if you're going from fucking Japanese, which is, you know, yeah. has no linguistic connection to English at all. So it's essentially, no, it's not even essentially. You're, you're, you're starting from zero linguistically. But you have uh, an idea of the content, but there's no, there's no framework. There's no structure. There's no, if you tried to follow that Japanese sentence structure, it will sound like shit. I guarantee yeah, you 100%. I've, I've so. tried to like decode it and it pretty much like ends up coming out like the, the sentence structure that Yoda uses. Like everything's just out of order and I get confused. And I'm yeah. Like, well, yeah. There's a reason that Google Translate sucks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I get it. It's definitely an extra step to it. It's not just. And they put X a lot of money into that. Like, yeah. So, yeah. you know, so everybody, please, you know, do some pushback on these idiots on Twitter that talk about uh, translators this and their egos are making them change what's really there. There's no, you know, there's no mysterious secret you know, in the original Japanese that will help you with your sad little lives, guys. We're already, that's what we're doing. <laughs> you know, it's like, there's, we're, not, we're not cutting out any mystical oriental secrets. <laughs> I yeah. promise you, we're trying to give you what's there. We're trying to give you the essence of it. Yeah. 
Now I sound like my original podcast. I'm going, starting to lose it. All right. <laughs> No, nah, man, you're hitting some good points. I mean, that's, I think a lot of people just don't realize it's this just stuff, coffee. you know, they're, they're just getting flashbacks. This is, this is what we rant about all the time. This is, it's just from a translator's perspective this week. Okay. I mean, yeah. And you, and you famously, you know, added that, that line in, you know, we- weapons and equipment, OSP weapons and equipment, OSP. And like, you know, for someone to be mad about that, Hey, you just fully encapsulated like Metal Gear gameplay into a sentence. Like that's how the games were before. You know, you always landed on each, you know, in each scenario with no gear. And so when Snake says that, it's like, oh, we're back doing this shit again. You know, it's like that was such a cool sentence. And that's so it's like that added to the experience for me. And I, I was the kind of kid like when I would see an acronym, I'm I'm looking that shit up. And so it's like when I see OSP, it's like. Wait, that's not even an official yeah. acronym? Like, you made that up? How cool is that? Yeah. Like, so, I don't know, man. Bravo on that. Thanks. <laughs> I mean, over two decades later, they're still using it. Yeah, they're yeah. still using Codec, too. Codec was supposed to be wireless. It just says wireless. Like, You know they use that in Death Stranding? I, I heard that, but I, I couldn't find an example of it, but, you know. Oh, my God. I have screenshots. It's so interesting. Um, I just didn't think, you know, how could Snake be using, you know, this, like, technology that sounds like it's from the 50s a wireless what you know <laughs> yeah yeah exactly that definitely would not have translated as well like call me on your wireless snake it's like oh codec is not a thing i mean there are things called yeah. codecs but they mm-hmm. they're not they're not that <laughs> yeah so yeah i see it all the time in like just different uh video editing software that's like the only time i've seen it outside of that context is it's just like a file format as a codec but it's like you know yeah i mean so i think yeah codec that that's a that's a that was a good piece of uh trans creation i guess you would call it you know because i created Mm -hmm. it i didn't i didn't translate that i created that that's amazing i um i i put a picture a screenshot of the uh where it says codec oh cool so yeah. yeah. Uh and that's that's a great example. <laughs> I would say that's art from adversity. Like it almost feels like you're you're between a rock and a hard place, right? Where you mentioned where you have to you have to exhaust your writing skills while also fitting these cultural requirements from the original game. So OSP I feel like is is the way to like fly like a butterfly, sting like a bee and handling <laughs> those situations. So yeah, big ups. You know, when you create art, I guess, I don't want to, you know, toot my own horn too much. And I never thought of myself as an artist, but I guess it has this in common because when I wrote, you know, when Snake, when I imagined Snake saying, you don't know how good a cigarette tastes in the morning, you know, that was my Snake. That wasn't, first yeah. of all, that line isn't in the Japanese, you know, and it's how I was, you know, I was, I was, I was a smoker then, you know. And I was going through this hard process. And you were right. And, and they did. They did and I was right. You know? But it's like I was reaching into myself to, to uh, imbue the character with something that, you know, that I felt would, you know, to, to flesh out the character. And that's, the, that's well, the thing is fleshing out the character. But you can't flesh out a Japanese character in English because the archetypes are different. So in Japanese, there's a Japanese archetype of a cool guy. But in English, we have our own archetypes. And this archetype in my mind was, you know, it was Clint Eastwood, I guess, you know. And, you know, it's, it's um, something that that game had that I feel none of the other ones had was an element of verisimilitude. 
mm. in large part because of that Damn, dialogue. That's a fifty dollar word. Yeah, I forget what that Google's means. Google's versatility. <laughs> <laughs> it it was Japan. authentic. <laughs> I've been in yeah. Japan so it was, long. It was believable. <laughs> it was real. Ah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Sorry, what was and, that and, word again? And when you versatility. Versatility. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And you. when you get into these later games, they sort of drift into, for lack of a better way to put it, anime style dialogue. Right. Right. They do. Yeah, MGS One definitely felt the most grounded and just uh, yeah, just believable in a in a character to character sense when they were talking. Just like that that script and dialogue. I still just shake my head when I read. Uh, I won't cast your sorrows to the heartless sea. You know, we're all you know, <laughs> we're we're all diamonds. And I just yeah. I just don't know. Like I don't know what I would have done if I had seen that. I I would have you know I would have I would have completely changed the line. You know I I keep well. I mean you don't cast sorrows first of all. That's a it's a completely mixed metaphor. <laughs> sorrows. No, you, you can't. You literally cannot cast a sorrow. So, you know, that is. <laughs> right? Did, did you ever hear? Did you ever hear of anyone casting sorrows? Is that a thing? Is it possible to cast? A, so how did that line, <clears throat> you know, happen? I mean, I looked at the Japanese and it's a direct translation. Son of a bitch. But you can't, Son of a bitch. <laughs> you can't do that. I mean, I, I, that's a line I refuse to cross, you know? And. You know, it's just ridiculous. You're giving me a, uh, you're giving me strong Harrison Ford vibes, and he was like, "You can write this shit, George, but I ain't reading it." Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting that vibe right now, which is just great. I'm enjoying it. You know, but and but the sad thing is that there's people that say that that's a great line, and so you know, on one level, like <clears throat> I can't argue with people's taste. You know, if 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 you feel that, and and certainly, what's his face got paid a lot of money for that, you know, one line. You know, to, to say that one line, he, he probably had to get paid a lot of money. What was his name? That actor, uh, Kiefer Sutherland. Kiefer Sutherland. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he probably, he must've read that thing and said, oh shit. You know, <laughs> how am I going to, how am I going to deliver this line? You know, but, um, but anyway, there's people that, that really like that line and, uh, enjoy yeah, that, not the best that, line. uh, uh, that pure, unadulterated, unfiltered, uh, Kojima, uh, Ness. Where it's sort of nonsensical in English, but it sounds vaguely poetic. Oh, wait till you wait till you hit Death Stranding and he starts talking about Princess Beach. <laughs> yeah, so oh, I don't no. know. So, you know, I suppose it's reasonable to say, you know, who are you to think that you can, you know, dilute, you know, the Kojima-ness, you know? And that's <laughs> maybe it's a little diluting. <laughs> yeah. I mean, art art is subjective at the end of the day, but I mean, yeah. come on, like we have to have some standards. Uh, <laughs> and this is, I mean, this is your skill set. It's, I, I, I don't see what the issue is with you saying that. Yeah, a, I, it's completely because there's a, you know, there's an argument over what the job description is. You know, is it, is it, um, is it a translator's job to, you know, but, but this is a, this by the way, this is an argument that has gone back, um. To the very, very beginning of, of this, you know, of a translator. Um, they've always argued about this specific issue. Always. It always has been an issue. You know, to what degree do you, are you allowed to interpret something? And, uh, yeah. you know, what's your job? So, big, big question. Yeah, we've talked about death of the author a few times on this episode before. And, you know, that can yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. You know, that's a really interesting conversation to have to yeah hopefully we don't have death of the translator so death of the translator <laughs> oh geez well entire there have been entire fan debates over lines that were different in english versus japanese but i mean you're always going to get 
like those fans who come in like uh, what the 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 dude in the Simpsons who was arguing about the magic xylophone from Itchy and Scratchy, you know, <laughs> I didn't see that one. That one guy. <laughs> <laughs> I think well, I, stopped basically, I mean, there was a bit in the Simpsons where they basically made fun of this. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. I got your reference, yeah. Nitroid. What kind of what kind of shit did you talk about with Donna? I haven't listened to that yet. Dude, Donna was a trip, man. Dude, that, she that, called us dipshits. Yeah, oh, she was wild. She's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, she's so fun. Shout out to Donna Burke. Yeah, she's so fun. Yeah, like she's that, that, I can't I really do hope she uh does the the tours that she's talking about uh and, and comes through my city because definitely treating that woman to some hot chicken. So Hell yeah. <laughs> you can't you can't have real hot chicken unless you come to Nashville though. Yeah. Well, where are you? Where's the, where's your hot chicken? I'm in uh, Richmond, Virginia, and Nitroid's over in in Nashville, where the mm. real stuff is. So mm, he mm, does. Mm. He's got me, but we got pretty good hot chicken here. We still got the southern food, though. Yeah. I would never have guessed you guys are southern. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm from Ohio, so I'm kind of a mess no matter where I go. No. And I try to hide the accent during professional engagements. <laughs> I just heard it. <laughs> I just heard it. Uh, oh no! Yeah, <laughs> you sounded a little bit like uh, whatever. Sh- whatever shall I do? <laughs> oh Lord, no! Nah. Southern Bell. If you if you watch me in my streams, it's a little more. Uh, it it peaks out a little more, but I try to try to keep it low when I'm talking in the podcast. Well, well, there's a question for you. I mean, you've been living in Japan for how long now? Well, this. On this particular stretch, I'm in my 12th year, but, you know, I've been back and forth, lived here at various other times, but I moved back here this time in 2010. Okay, so you've been to the U.S. then fairly recently. I haven't been back to the U.S. Uh, last time I was back was five years ago. Okay, okay. Yeah. So what's the next subject? Do we have a next subject? Uh, we did have a question uh, from one of our Patreon uh, listeners. We've got uh, from Angelus Reigns, and this is you know a question if you don't want to take, it's fine. Uh, but he asked, uh, if Konami was working on the localization for a new Metal Gear Solid project, remake, sequel, or otherwise, and you were the translator, localizer, would you do it, and would you approach it differently than you did the localization for MGS1? That's his question. That's a great question. I would do it. And, uh, Konami, I mean, I wouldn't, <laughs> listen. <laughs> listen. Oh my God. No, I can't do the Tom Olson shit. Another time. If somebody <laughs> makes a blog post about this question, he's defending. Sorry, Konami. It's, 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 with, with it's a long story. I can't believe he's I, I'm not going to get into <laughs> it. Okay. <laughs> okay. But yeah. listen, please, Konami please. was always, you know, they're a company. So they've always, they've always been a money grubbing entity, you know? Um, the year I was there, they had just fired the president, the, the uh, uh, not the CEO, mind you, that was Kozuki, but the president, they hired a banker, you know, and this banker guy, he sat in the, he sat in the office watching everybody. They don't, executives, they don't know anything about games. They don't fucking care about games. To them, they're just making yeah. widgets, you know, and anybody that expects <laughs> that somehow Konami as an entity is going to be in love with games the way that they're in love with games, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. So. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> You know, as you can see, um, there's business decisions that have to be made, obviously, because they have shareholders, et cetera. So I think fuck Konami is a really stupid, you know, it's a really stupid meme. I've never typed that this entire thing. Like, I've seen what. Yeah. Yeah, I would. I would. I would. I will. I shall. I, you know, I would. um, 
be involved with any, you know, any project um, by Konami at any time, right? Because it's not Konami making it, you know, the, it's like the dev team's making it or, you know, individuals yeah. are involved in these things and I'm an individual. So I would approach it the same way. I would start mm-hmm. with, you know, the very best of intentions to deliver a massively entertaining and realistic sounding, you know, thing that also captured the spirit of the original and delivered everything that the original delivered to the Japanese, but delivered it to, you know, my audience, which is, you know, English speaking people. And that's my job. and It's always going to be my job. But then you get into the actual, you know, nuts and bolts of it. And, you know, you're working with a, a dipshit, dipshit project manager, maybe, <laughs> yeah. you know, and they say, yeah. I noticed that you chose, <laughs> I, I, I noticed that you translated, you know, this as this, but, you know, it's actually. Gosh, Jeremy, I have, I have no idea who you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, and so you run into these <clears throat> potential roadblocks and then it's negotiation. I. Actually, there was a great book on <clears throat> translation by um, Umberto Eco, right? A great, great, great author, super intelligent guy. Uh, he wrote a book about translation, and he mm-hmm. he he discusses the translation as negotiation, you know, mm. a negotiation between different parties. And I think that's really, really true. You're negotiating between different people. There's the needs of the of the audience, and there's the the original writer, and then you've got sort of Beyond that, you've got the kind of uh, the kind of spirit of the of the idea, you know, because the even the original writer isn't exactly putting out there the the real idea. The real idea is a thing that doesn't have a language, you know. It's just an idea. But then when he expressed that idea, he can only express it through his own language. But the idea itself is a pure kind of a thing, you know, mm-hmm. that doesn't have language. And so are you going to translate the words that he put out there and miss the idea? Or are you going to go for the idea? Yeah. This is kind of drifting into like Plato's theory of forms a bit. Yeah, I guess it is, you know. And so but um, so you've got these um, these really disparate um, interests to serve as a translator. And so it's a negotiation. And then you got and then you got to negotiate with the dipshit PM too, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I've been on both sides of that equation. All these dipshits getting in your way, and now you got dipshit Twitter people too. <laughs> so many dipshits. Yeah, man. Well, it's a world of dipshits. Well, I mean, you you know, you increase accessibility, and now everybody's an expert. I'm yeah. sad that we can't make "World of Dipshits" our title for this episode. I <laughs> know, uh, actually, <laughs> I think not going to get past that. The should, that that should be the title of this podcast: <laughs> the World of Dipshits. <laughs> I don't really think so. That's us. That's a that's a quick way. The Twitter thing is like um, everyone expects accessibility now, but they also um, there's this weird relationship with creators now, um, and I think Kojima has done an amazing job of navigating this. He he's completely avoided this, um, but well, he's he's always been pretty good at I think curating the experience from A to Z. So I th- I think he's brilliant at it, and I I actually think this is his this is his genius. When you see his Twitter thing, that's that's the Kojima genius that that's the real Kojima genius. And I think that, you know, his his brilliance as a game creator kind of went into that. And what you see now with him um, making games, I don't really think, for example, he's not an open type world 
you know, guy. He's a closed yeah. world type guy. If you look at, um, you know, Snatcher or even the first Metal Gear Solid, you know, what you'll see is a really, 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 really closed world. It's exceptionally closed. It's a world on rails. And you are driven through it on the rails from one scene to another scene. But he maintains this, this, this feeling of freedom because he gives you a little, mm-hmm. he gives you, he gives you a little bit of, he gives you a little freedom in certain areas. So you, enough as a treat. Yeah, to, to create the illusion that you have freedom. But then when you look back on the experience, you realize, oh, I could only, you know, the only way to kill Vulcan Raven was with that RPG or whatever. Or the only yeah. way to, you know, hit Vulcan Raven was when, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, um, <laughs> I said Vulcan Raven, um, to hit uh, Sniper Wolf, you know, is when she's in between this tree and this tree or whatever, you know what I mean? It's Yeah. Yeah, it's like a magician, uh, like forcing a card. Right. Like so they, he, they, you're only drawing that one card that they want you to draw, but you're like, oh, I got a whole deck to choose from. No, that, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, that's a very good um, metaphor. And so I think that's what he's a genius at. But that's not what open worlds are. And I've heard that he's very taken with open worlds, and maybe for that reason that he, he's not, he's not that type of a, of a game creator. But um, Twitter. Yeah, that's an open world. I mean, that's a that's that's no, it's not a, it's not an open world. It's a closed world that appears as an open world. I don't know what I'm even saying anymore, but he's a genius <laughs> on Twitter. That's all I can say. And um, then you've got these victims of the closeness between fans um, who, you know, um, speaking of Silent Hill, you know, everybody will know what I'm talking about—the shit shit show that happened with Silent Hill and. Yeah. And that, you know, and and um, I think that, you know, that fans want fans, they have a, a kind of a conflicted, um, a contradictory um, relationship with creators. They want mm-hmm. them to be gods that are unapproachable. But at the same time, they want to approach them. There's this tension between yeah. that, you know, and then when they find that they can approach this person then they're flooded with contempt for them. Sort of breaks the illusion. Yeah. You know? And entitlement and just, all right, well, cool. Now that I can talk to you, you should hear how I want you to do it. And it's like, well, I'm the creator, so. <laughs> well, yeah. on the subject of, of $10 words, Days introduced me to a term, uh, parasocial interaction. Mm, that's which true. has to do with one-sided relationships between, typically, fans and creators. Mm. And and how unbalanced and strange those can be. I think Days could probably speak to it a little better than I could, but but I'm, I I get uh, the impression you've had to deal with that a bit too on your end. Parasocial relationships, yeah, that's really that's really an interesting. Tell me more about that. I mean, um, I don't know. Have I dealt with that? Yeah, yeah. So uh, hopefully, I'm breaking this down right. But essentially, it's it's a phenomenon that sort of came with the age of social media, where somebody is has the is able to leverage these social media tools to you know sell their personality whether it's you know twitter or twitch or you know just being like the community manager for representing like like a company or a game Mm. and what ends up happening is you know there's this because it's online there is this two-way dialogue between the fans and the creator and there starts to become this gray area for some people where the line between discussing the content and the line between and the boundary of 
that person as a person starts to meld. Essentially, what like where the logical extreme would be, you know, I was able to talk to my content, this content creator, about like my favorite game by them. Thus, you know, we're good friends, or yeah, we're like best I'm, yeah. I'm emotionally like tied to this now, and it's okay to be emotionally tied to a piece of media. I think where it draws the line is when like you break those social boundaries with the creators. Yeah, themselves. no, I get it. It's it's the misery relationship. You know, I'm your greatest fan. Yeah. The misery. <laughs> Hopefully, it never gets that bad. But yeah, it's like misery, but on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, I get it. That I do I do deal with that sometimes. But I'm not really a you know I'm not really a celebrity in that sense. I'm more like a I'm like a you know extremely, extremely minor, minor, far end of barely sort of perhaps that, you know. But even then I, I do get a little bit of that. So you know, I I mean I've had people say like, you know, your your translation saved my life when I was gonna you know, I was about to commit suicide or you know or you know that kind of stuff like that I get that occasionally you know mm-hmm. um, which is fine totally fine but like you said when you get into this weird thing where because it's very hard you know it's very hard to, to deal with that you want to treat people as you know as people and so then the impulse on this side is to you know be like no no you know like when you get you know you're my idol you know I've always you know like it's like talking yeah. to a god, you know. You're like, no, 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 come on. No, so no, tell no, me about yourself. You know? yeah. These then- <laughs> people also poop, okay? I'm yeah, just saying. Right, yeah. Like- <laughs> <That's> right. <laughs> <laughs> and they don't want you near the pot when they're pooping. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I was gonna say your impulse is to is to close that distance, right? But then mm-hmm. you know the the conflict is that person doesn't really want on on some level they want they think they want to close that distance, but then they don't really want to close that distance because they that would mean the death of their god, you know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's true. So that's kind of what I've seen, like going in a lot of conventions. You just like we were talking about it before the show. It's like you go in the green room and you see the voice actor for Duke Nukem scooping out some mashed potatoes. And you're like, oh, he's he's just a dude. Like, yeah, oh, you, okay. Yeah. You ever, see, like, you ever see the man who would be like, king? The man who would be king with Sean Connery and uh, Michael Caine? Mm-mm. Great fucking movie. The man who would be king. Highly recommended. We'll check it out. These two British officers in the 1800s, they. They go into like uh, Kazakhstan or you know something like that. You know, mm. um, they're just you know they're just regular uh, you know low level soldiers, right? And they go there, but because of you know their advanced sort of uh, technology and stuff like this, they um, they play upon the uh, the uh, the legend of of Alexander because you know you know Alexander the Great. Great, and they yeah. they come at it like they're the you know the descendants the 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 the, the revisitation of you know Alexander ah. yeah and so uh, one of them begins to be worshipped as a god king you know mm-hmm. and he marries a, a local uh, a local uh, you know the daughter of a local chief you know and uh, she doesn't want to get married she she bites him on the cheek you know and he bleeds and when they see the blood and they know that he's ah. he's human then yeah everything turns. Mm-hmm. Everything turns, and they, you know, they, they cast him off a bridge, and shit. it's kind of like that. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like that. Yeah, it definitely. It doesn't happen as much in real life, too. Like you, you know, you have that like that space between you, and of course, at like conventions, you'll have the the people that kind of like hang around and don't get the the social cues. Like, hey, this interaction's over, you know. But then, like, you can at least be like, hey, I'm gonna leave and go walk this way, you know. And then, but on online, you just, you know, you got yeah, your lock right. button, but then. 
depending right. on how determined they are. They're like, I have an alt account. You're like, oh boy, I can block all day. So, right, right. Yeah. But but Kojima is is not that never happens to Kojima. Yeah, he's like way above that, and I don't know exactly how he did that, but it probably helps that he doesn't speak in English. Well, he also never directly interacts with a lot of fans. Uh, he he will every once in a while, but he for the most part he stays very, out of the very, comments. Very yeah. objective too. It's almost like if he has something to say and then someone speaks to it, then he'll use that as a platform to dive off. Like when didn't someone ask about like the new trailer being cut, and he was like, "Actually, yeah, that wasn't my trailer." You know, like he kind of like used that as mm. the springboard to say the mm. comment that he wanted to like, "Hey, I, I didn't direct this this trailer and cut it up. Like somebody else did it." But he won't respond. It's to more. It. Statements than conversations. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's that's that, that's, that's it. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. He's not getting into back and forth and shit. And like, no, this is like, he's just <laughs> see, like, that's a lesson I'm still statement. learning. He's yeah. just like, <laughs> I argue on Twitter way sausage. too damn much. <laughs> he's like sausage. these egg benedicts looks like titties which is yeah. i love eggs benedict yeah. So. yeah every once in a while you'll get strange tweets like that that are just like okay what <laughs> i don't know i don't know how he gets away with that shit <laughs> i mean like yeah. anybody else anybody else would be crucified for that i mean you can't do that it's 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 so strange um but yeah silent hill i was just thinking uh lately people have been talking about blooper blooper mm. you know yeah we call him blooper too don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but it's so, <laughs> it's so funny. That's what caused me to bust out that, you know, that little mini rant the other day because yeah, um, people were already prejudging, you know, Bluebird, it's going to suck. It's going to ruin my life. You know, Bluebird, I can't believe they're letting Bluebird touch it. Bluebird's going to do this or do that. And I'm going to hate it. And it's not at all like the, you know, you know, it's shitting on the legacy of Silent Hill 2. And then you point out that Silent Hill 2 was, you know, not well received. Silent Hill 3, not well received. Silent Hill 1, not well received, you know? They're never well received. It's only, you know, it's only looking back that these things, you know, it's it, it's like now people think George Bush was like a nice guy. You know, it's like that. <laughs> <laughs> Look at him. He's sitting there in the basketball stands just eating ice cream cones. He paints. He's, sweet. He's painting. He's a nice guy. <laughs> he gave fucking, he gave fucking Michelle Obama some candy. It is weird how like time can just completely change the perception of something like that. Though. Yeah, it's just it doesn't matter if you kill even if you live through it. The past can that's can right still end up that's true, being yeah. seen through rose tinted glasses. Well, you know, it it the older you were when you lived through it, the harder I think it is to be, to fall prey to that. You know, yeah. If you're still like mentally developing, you know, then then yeah. But if you already have you know, developed your internal compass for things, then not so much. Yeah, it's definitely a, a problem with Twitter, dealing with a lot of people that have not developed that part yet. So, haven't developed several parts. I think <laughs> it arguing imp- with kids on Twitter. It, it, it really <laughs> impedes. Um, it impedes progress. You know. Yeah, it's like too much noise. Like it's not. Yeah, it's just everybody talking and everybody's. Uh, no nuance. Yeah. Yeah, it impedes, it impedes creativity, you know, because uh, that Silent Hill team that looked at the reviews of Silent Hill 2, as a result of that, they, you know, they didn't make exactly, you know, if there was a game that they wanted to make for Silent Hill 3, then I don't think they made that. They made something that was reactionary, you know. 
Especially when you've got like fans just like creating petitions and coming together and like, you know, you've got just these like mobs that will come together and say like, this is the thing that we're going to hit, you know. All the petitions are the dumbest thing. Kickstarter or any of those type of things. It's like now you have people kind of assembling together and they can be a force. Like they might be the, the loud minority, but they will do some damage during that time. So it's like. Yeah, it's definitely a fine balance that you got to walk with at all. Yeah. Well, they they tie their identities to this stuff so strongly. Like, if there's something that I don't like about this piece of media that I associate mm-hmm. with myself so heavily, then that's also a slight against me as well. Yeah. And it's it's just again, it kind of goes back to magical thinking. Well, that's you know that's another subject that like I think you you just kind of touched upon the fandom. You know, I don't yeah. think that you know originally um, you know before social media was a thing. Games were received as games and people played them individually and enjoyed them individually. Um, yeah. But there was no association of your your identity with being a fan of that. And so now, um, arguably, it's more important when, when, a, when a new game comes out, your choice of which fandom you join and how that relates to your identity as a person or how you're perceived um, it's arguably more important to people than the game itself. Am I, yeah. am I, am I right? <laughs> you kind of are, you know, you guys are big, um, Kojima fans. Obviously this is the Kojima frequency, mm-hmm. right? And yet, uh, where do you guys, you know, why are you the Kojima frequency? I mean, is it because you were fans of Metal Gear Solid? Is it because you were, um, fans of metal, you know, snake eater? Did you, you know, where are you with regards to what Kojima is doing now? And what do you think about um, the uh, talk about uh, uh, Death Stranding 2? You know, and what do you, you know, I'd just like to hear what, you know, what, what you, what you're on that. Who wants to go first? Do you guys want me to field this one? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, I, I'll speak for myself here. Uh, okay. and, I, and I think they share this sentiment where, you know, we're, we're fans of, of him and his work, but being a fan of something doesn't mean that you are, you can be a fan of something and still be openly critical of it. Yeah. Okay. You know, that, you know, I, I, I like pizza, right? Yeah. You know, I, I love a good slice of pizza, but that doesn't mean I think every pizza everywhere is good just because it's pizza. I'm super critical of pizza. I'm, I'm a pizza maniac and nobody's right. Hard. Nobody's harder on pizza than me. Because you love pizza. You just love pizza love to be the best exactly. pizza it can be. Yeah. Exactly. That's how we feel. Yeah, okay. Right. Okay, that's that's and, that's understandable. And yeah. when it's not, we're gonna we're gonna say so. Mm. Yeah, when somebody burns some crust or yeah, that's very easy to understand. Mm. Yeah. And I think to that to Nitroid's point though, we wanna avoid kind of that 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 crosstalk that you generally see online. Like we want to be critical, but we don't want to be like, you know, fuck Konami or we, we want to, we want, we want to have statements and criticisms that will fit, will not, will be longer. That can't fit on like a, a bumper sticker car. Like you, you, people always say like, don't have political opinions that fit on a bumper sticker. Mm, that, that's right. how we want to treat like approach our commentary on Kojima and the gaming industry. The Kojima frequency. We've got nuance. Judge someone not by the content of their bumper stickers, but by the quantity. <laughs> okay. Did you guys like uh, Death Stranding? 
I like it. Had it had its big parts. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So you can hear I, the hesitation. Yeah. That's, that's, <laughs> we're definitely. We definitely had good uh, and no, bad no, things no, to yeah. say. But. Uh, yeah, I, I I I like it as a Kojima fan, not so much as a Metal Gear fan. Like I mm. really really appreciated the gameplay, but if I were somebody who was coming from the series with you know specific expectations, then I can understand why people were upset. I wish it had committed to its premise more. Mm. I felt like it was a half measure. What was the premise? Like if you're if you're gonna make it, well, if you're gonna make a game about traversing the 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 u.s or however or a, let's just say a large open space and it's you know it's more of the more you know uh more about the journey than the destination mm. and and you're just you're going through this disconnected area then then you know really lean into that desperation factor and don't give me things like zip lines to speed up the part of the game that you want me to be invested in Okay. Hey, hey, hey! Don't talk shit about my zip lines. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm getting into the, the to the to like the 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 dirt and grime of it, but um, it, mechanically, I just uh, I, I would have liked it to have been weirder. Okay, I have, I, a re- I have a really pointed question that, then. Um, yeah, it's um, I've often thought that with regards to gameplay versus um, let's just say the Kojima like. Um, verbosity mm-hmm. okay you know his tendency to have really long cutscenes, you know this kind of thing um in the past i haven't seen that the two blend well together it seemed to me that you've got the gameplay the game and then you've got this this overlay of you know long cutscenes, which is really what kojima wanted to do you know yeah. it, it's 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 interesting how you put it that way? Uh, oh, oh, let me let me get, have you finish your question. Sorry. So I was going to say, so if if you can accept the premise of that question, how do you see that as having played itself out in uh, Death Stranding? But I'm not assuming that you agree with my you know with my statement. You know, um, I'll take this one. Um, first of all, I, I do agree to, with your statement to an extent. Um, I think that. So I think that. Regardless of the cutscenes, one thing I like about Kojima is, you know, there's some like he takes some gameplay elements and he uses that to convey the tone or the message of his story. Mm. Um, Mm. I'm trying to think of an example from the Metal Gear series, but like the one thing I can think of was just like, um, gosh, well, let me let me go ahead and just jump into Death Stranding here. Um, so Death, Death Stranding is about traversing. It's about facing the elements and it's about, you know, connecting with others so that you can better face said elements. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the way that the game, the way that game conveys that message is through the gameplay, which people called it a walking simulator. But I, I think it's a walking simulator in the best definition it could be where you you have to take consideration every step, every resource that you use, every every shortcut you take every every hazard that you might run into Mm. um and when you're dealing with that desperation when you finally connect with people whether if if it's you know connecting on the chiral network or connecting with like an online player because because the game actually people can help you yeah on the game it's sort of hard to explain but other people can help you by leaving supplies when they were going through that tough path yeah so 
I think that gameplay conveys his message so well about connecting because you are that person who's desperate and you are evoking, you're naturally evoking those feelings of, oh my God, I'm connected with this person who left this, uh, left these Cairo boots for me or some shit like that. Yeah. But then he also tries to convey that message with this, this whole story about like the president of the United City, the UCA and, and Norman Reedus's character, Sam trying to traverse and the BTs and the Cairo network and all these terms that are just repeated and it there's so much going on there that it kind of almost muddles the message Mm. so to kind of summarize what i'm trying to say is you know he does a good job of conveying that tone concisely or conveying that message concisely with the gameplay Mm. but the cutscenes are still kojima cutscenes. yeah Yeah. (laughs) so you think he needs a little bit more editing yeah. yeah, Death Stranding yeah. could have used an edit, but we do have the director's cut. I beat that game twice, and I still have no idea what it was about. Yeah, and that's, like, we never got, like, a clear definition of what is the Death Stranding phenomenon. Like, what was, you know, like, they, it's just like, oh, it's a supernatural phenomenon thing that happened, and here we are. And it's like, well, it, damn it. If I had to sum up this game, I would call it forcefully enigmatic. Well, you know what that reminds yeah, me of? Um what was the uh, the um, the uh, quote unquote sequel to Alien with the, the albino giant uh, that movie? Oh uh, shit, Prometheus. Yeah. Prometheus, yeah. So yeah, I have this kind of like my own personal feeling about Prometheus and some people's way that they approach. Um, it's called world building, and for me, Prometheus is indicative of. You know, one extreme example, and for example, something like Tolkien, Lord of the Rings, is um, an extreme example of the other side. And um, so for me, uh, you know, you can build up from the ground up. Um, In the case of Tolkien, he was a he was um, he was a linguist, you know, and so he built it from the languages. That was what he was interested in, in, in Elvish, for example. And then he kind of had to create a world that supported the language. It, you know, the, the, the world grew organically from, from, from the language. And so it had this deep, deep structure, you know? Yeah. Um, the world, and it took an enormous amount of time. Um, but it, as a result, it retained incredible um, consistency throughout it. Yeah. You know? Versus like adding stuff in as a retcon that then like muddies up the timeline yeah, a little bit. Throw, now we you, have to reconsider like when are we looking at this fact? Like right, are we right, looking exactly. at it before MGS two came out or are we looking at it before exactly. any of the PlayStation I mean, games came out? Because the story changes. If you start with images, for example, instead of um mm-hmm. in language, you know, like I just, you know, I had this dream about, you know, um oil dripping down a down a dude's face, you know. And then I went from there. And then I asked myself, Well, what is this oil dripping down from a dude's face? That's you know, and then I realized, yeah, it could be a slime from a, you know, thing. And then, you know, and then what's that thing? And then that thing is this. That's top down mm-hmm. stuff. And then yeah. what you wind up with is a lot of holes uh, because there's no internal logic to it. It's all based on imagery. And and I think Prometheus was something like that. Yeah. You know, why is there a biologist who, you know, <laughs> doesn't act like a biologist, you know? Like, yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. It's um to to put it another way, if I'm understanding you right, it's almost like the the Rosetta Stone version of world building, uh, where it yeah. kind of throws you into the deep end and expects you to pick it up. Yeah, yeah. Um, except that the Rosetta Stone is a representation of an existing reality. I mean, those languages exist. So, um, I guess my question is. You know, and, and it's the same thing with Silent Hill, for example, you know, how I was referring to before about the lore. Mm-hmm. The thing is, is that if you look at it from the outside, you can imagine, just like we were talking about filling in the blanks, you can imagine that there was a deep lore that made, you know, consistent sense, you know, about the, the world of Silent Hill and the gods, you know. And uh, but the truth is, is that there is no consistency and there is no well thought out um, world. Yeah, and two at the time, you don't even know if a sequel is coming. Yeah, right? and like, maybe the, you know, and from the standpoint of entertainment, sometimes the illusion is is enough. It is enough because you'll fill in those spaces, but it doesn't mean that there is a reality to that world. And so I am wondering whether or not that Death Stranding is something like that. You know, you've got this, you know, this imagery and stuff like that, and the fans can fill in the blanks and they can imagine that it's a it's a real concrete world, but it's not doesn't actually make any sense because it's a uh, sleight of hand magician stuff here. You know, take, take any card you want, but you know, yeah. Um, Here's your high and your car. And yeah. that was kind of my <laughs> biggest uh, issue with the game uh, more or less was that I never felt anchored to anything in it. Right. I never really got a feel for what was going on or where I was or what the gravity of these situations were right. or, or what, why I should care about any of these characters. I, I never had that anchoring moment early on that made me go, okay, I'm in, I, you know, I understand this world now so I can start to sort of build that understanding, yeah. and build those emotional connections and, and try to relate to these right. things because it's so far detached from right. anything familiar that I, that I just can't relate to it. I think, you know, I think complexity has to grow from, um, Simplicity, you know, that's, that's, that's the organic growth, you know, complexity evolves. But if you just start with complexity and you've never gone through the, the, the earlier stages, then you just wind up with, uh, kind of, a, you know, a tangled mess, you know? Yeah. Like even as yeah. a, uh, I, I used to like deliver pizzas, you know, and it's like, even that I wasn't really like empathizing, like, cool, I'm a delivery man. Like, like Sam, you know, it's just, it didn't really translate. Like even with that, I don't know. Something was missing. <laughs> and so. they straight up have you deliver pizza. And that yeah, I know. That's why I was like, nope, I think I prefer the Domino's experience. Man, a better graphics. fuck that guy. No spoilers, but fuck that guy. <laughs> that pizza guy. Yeah. Can I ask a bit of a non sequitur? Yeah. I, I just, this has been on my mind this whole time. Mm. So looking at your repertoire, Jeremy, I did know, I do know that you worked on like Pokemon. If mm. That's if I remember correctly. Yeah. I did. And there's a scene towards the beginning of the series where it's raining and the main characters are running and trying to get out of the rain. And Brock, who is the group chef picks up the pan, his pan and says, I'm going to turn this frying pan, puts it on his head, into a drying pan, and he <laughs> avoids the rain. Was that you? That's great. No, I, I, it wasn't, but I love it. It's brilliant. Damn. <laughs> that is a good I line. I was like, oh my God, if the Metal Gear... No, that's fucking that. brilliant. No, I mean, I, I, you know, I'm just like trying to imagine what the original Japanese was. Um, 
assuming that it was, I mean, visually, if he's putting the frying pan on his head, you know, he probably said something the same in Japanese. But uh, nothing occurs to me in the in the Japanese language that upon that would that would make it like that. So to me, that's brilliant. You know, it's it just absolutely. I wish it was me. It's like to have arrived at that particular pun. Um, yeah, that's, it's that's a stroke of good you know. For- it's like uh, you know, it's like it's like that's a that's <laughs> that that's so good. I mean, frying pan, drying pan. It's uh, you know, it, it's so unimportant and it's so insignificant and it's so tiny. But it's like a moment like that. If you're the translator who did that, that's like it's like hitting you know a fucking grand slam, you know, yeah. in, in the World Series. But like and nobody's watching. That's, that's the OSP of Pokemon, right there. <laughs> it is, but I got credit for OSP. This guy, this is like you know unrecognized brilliance. You know, whoever did that, you know, <laughs> I would like to. Shout I'd like to, to give him. Give him a big hug and buy him some flowers <laughs> or her. Or them. Yeah, it's just that's great. Frying and drying pan. So good. Classic. Legends of localization. Legends of localization, yeah. yeah. That person deserves well, it. You are you are definitely one of those legends, <laughs> not to not to blow smoke, but we definitely uh, have uh, appreciated your work and all the games and stuff that you've you've put your touch on and we thank you so much for coming on the show, man. It's it's been, it was it's a, lot been of fun. a great time talking to you. It was a yeah. lot of fun. I yeah. really, really enjoyed it. It was good uh good getting to talk to you again and uh this has been a blast. <laughs> Ryan's conscience is now clear now. He's like, okay, yeah. good. He didn't get trouble. All right, I can, I can finally I, start I've to move there, on. There was a while there where I thought you might have hated us. For oh, no, no, oh, no, I was so, it was, dude, when you were up in there and you were like, what are your names? And I was like, no, it was really chill. No, um, I was an honor. I've learned so much and I've, I've been such a big fan, even when I didn't know I was a fan. So thank you again for, for dropping by. Thank you. And remember, a world of dipshits. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. World of dipshits. It was great. Yeah, thanks, thanks, for, thanks for asking me to be on. Yeah. And if, uh, if you want to plug your, your website and your, you know, your, your Twitter, if you want people to interact oh, with yeah, you, there, absolutely. You, know, you can plug um, all that stuff. Yeah. Well, le- let, me, let me just say something about uh, my company. Um, yeah. Go ahead. I started Dragon Baby uh, last year. We're a localization company focusing on games and other entertainment. We translate from all languages into all languages, specializing in Asian languages, super specializing in Japanese to English, as you can imagine. We work with game companies and we also work with other translation agencies in a support role. And we give it our all. So if you know anyone who needs localization, whether that be small scale steam stuff or a friend that has a desirable position in a gaming company please let them know that we're out there dragonbaby.com and they can reach me at jblaustein at dragonbaby.com and i'm open to any inquiries so thanks awesome yeah we'll definitely be sending people your way awesome here great no you'll they'll be in good hands so terrific it's been a blast. We'll, uh, we'll let you go here, but yeah, thank you again so much. <laughs>